0: Good morning and welcome. My name is Colin Tate. I'm the founder and the Chief Executive of Connexus Financial and the owner of Professional Planner and Investment Magazine. Thank you for joining us at this retirement conference, our 11th year of this retirement conference, and our first to pivot to a digital-only platform from a live environment. Especially welcome at this very sad and difficult confronting time. I know your time is busier than ever, and there's over 500 of you from around the country who have signed on to be part of this very important conference today. We've we've ensured that the content should keep you with us till the end, around 2.33 o'clock. We have pivoted the conference to be absolutely relevant to the crisis that we're all facing into. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first guest this morning, the minister responsible for our sector, the Honourable Jane Hume. Please welcome, Jane, good morning.
1: Good morning, Colin. Thank you so much for having me along here today. And thank you to to connectus for putting on this event in these quite extraordinary circumstances and managing to pull it together um, with the, the technological feat that you've already managed to pull off. Um, as the Prime Minister said, we are... Uh, a strong nation, we're a strong people, and over the next few months we will find out exactly just how strong we really are. Um, Every single part of the economy is facing this challenge and will have a role to play in building a bridge to the other side. Can I just begin with some logistics, please? If anybody that is watching today has some questions, there is a website where you can go that coordinates a whole of government response and that is, and I want to get this 100 percent right it is www.australia.gov.au so that is the website that coordinates the response across all categories there is also a 24/7 national coronavirus health health information line and that is 1-800-020-080 and there is also a coronavirus, an Australian government coronavirus app that's available on the Android and Apple stores and a WhatsApp group as well. So I urge all of you that may have questions to go to those sites. Now obviously uh, you know, let's start with our health initiatives. Australia is, um, isn't immune clearly But we are as well prepared as any other nation can be. And over the weekend, you would have heard that we announced over $1.1 billion worth of initiatives that included things like Medicare subsidised telehealth initiatives, um, some domestic violence, mental health initiatives as well, and some support for existing charities and services that are providing uh, emergency and food relief as demand requires as a result of the coronavirus surge. Uh, we've also that's on top of two point four billion dollars that were already that was already announced, which were dramatic boosts to aged care services and resources, particularly training and resourcing for infection control measures, um, uh, over 100 pop-up respiratory clinics and mobile respiratory clinics for areas that are in need, and funding of over $1.1 billion to ensure that patients and critical healthcare workers have the appropriate face masks and other protective equipment, including san- hand sanitiser goggles that they need. And on top of that, there's been a national, uh, a national communications campaign. But I don't think you're here to talk about that today. I'm pretty sure you're here to talk about the economic measures. <coughs> it is a battle that we are fighting on two fronts and I'm sure that most of you that have, uh, uh, haven't have been living under a rock have heard some of the uh, measures that have already been announced by this government and in particular uh, uh, our focus on maintaining not just lives but livelihoods throughout this process. We want to ensure that while we're on this bridge to the other side of the crisis, that we are connect, keeping the connection between employees and employers. And that is fundamentally important. Um, some businesses will have to go into hibernation. We know that purely because of the health crisis. We want to make sure that when businesses close, that people don't necessarily have to lose their jobs. That's why we've doubled the health, uh, the welfare safety net. But also, most importantly, we've provided this historical wage subsidy to around 6 million six million workers who receive a flat payment of $1,500 per fortnight through their employer before tax. This is a $130 billion JobKeeper payment that will help keep Australians in jobs and tackle the economic impact of the coronavirus. The payment uh, is equivalent of around 70% of the national median wage. And and for workers in some of those hardest affected parts of the economy, whether it be accommodation, hospitality and retail sectors, it will, in fact, replace the median wage. So the payment is paid to employers directly for up to six months, for each eligible employee that they have on their books as at the 1st of March 2020. And uh, that employee has to be retained to be engaged by that employer. Uh, They will uh, receive um, at least 1500 per employee per fortnight before tax. The program commences today, it commences today. And in fact, even before 8am, I think we already had thousands, hundreds of thousands of employers register for the program on the ATO's website. Uh, the first payments will be received by eligible businesses in the first week of May as monthly in arrears uh, from the tax office, but eligible businesses can start distributing that job seeker payment uh, immediately, even though it will be reimbursed from the first week of May. Um, and the eligible employers, of course, are those with a turnover of less than $30 billion who self-assess as having a reduction in their income of around 30% or more since March the 1st, um, over a minimum one-month period. Uh, employers, larger employers, are not um, uh, excluded from this. They also, if you have a, an annual turnover of a $1 billion or more, you're required to demonstrate a reduction in revenue of 50% or more to be eligible. Now, I mentioned before that we have also expanded income support payments, um, a new time-limited coronavirus supplement, of $550 per fortnight to those that are on uh, income support payments. Um, and that's paid to those on job seeker payments, youth allowance, parenting payments, farm household allowance, and other special benefits. Um, that's paid again over the next six months, and there are also other subsidies and uh, benefits that have been paid to uh, boost cash flow for employers uh, up to $100,000 for eligible and small, medium-sized businesses and not-for-profits, including charities, with a minimum <coughs> payment of, of, of uh, $20,000. And these payments can help businesses and not-for-profits maintain their cash flow so that they can keep operating pay their rent and other uh, electricity and other bills and hopefully to retain their staff. Now, I think that probably the topic de jour today for me is going to be the government's decision to allow for early release of superannuation. In particular, those two tranches, one this financial year, one next financial year of $10,000. And that is available up until the end of September uh, uh, this year. Um, So eligible uh, individuals are able to apply online through MyGov for access of that $10,000 before the 1st of July, and they'll also be able to access that additional $10,000 from the 1st of July. Uh, um, They will not need to pay tax on that amount. I think that's particularly important. Um, And the money that they withdraw won't affect their Centrelink or their Veterans Affairs payments. I think that maybe I might um, I could talk all day because there's an awful lot going on. As you know, Colin, the size of the um, uh, of the government's package to address the coronavirus is mind-boggling, um, unprecedented. <clears throat> it, it equates to over 10 per cent of the GDP. Uh, we think that this is an appropriate and proportionate response that will allow us to build that bridge to the other side of the crisis, help support businesses, help su- support individuals and families and help support communities.
0: Well, thanks, Minister. That's uh, a very, uh, very clear Uh, overview of where we're at. Uh, Let me start by saying uh, congratulations uh, to you and to the Morrison Government uh, on behalf of, I think, everyone listening to us today. uh, Our industry the population, and in my case, uh, my employees, myself, and my family, uh, the stimulus package is not only required clearly, uh, but at this stage is, uh, is is unprecedented. As you say, it's the largest economic stimulus uh, in in Australian history, uh, and there's no doubt more to come, uh, which just shows the gravity of the situation of which we all find ourselves. So let's go to some questions on um, in the, in regards to this. <coughs> pardon me. Firstly. Um, uh, in the, in In relation to the uh, dipping into super for the ten thousand and the ten thousand, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how sure you are that that's been adequately stress tested and what kind of liquidity issues this may cause or concern some superannuation funds?
1: Mm, okay, so first and foremost, I think that uh, we should know that this is not a decision that the government has taken lightly. It is also a decision that I think, Uh, has been uh, met with um, quite considerable enthusiasm uh, um, and it's been welcomed by a number of funds, particularly the larger funds and also uh, by the public at large. Um, Most importantly, I think you should know that APRA have advised the Treasurer and advised me that this is not going to cause liquidity issues in the superannuation sector. Uh, they had done some considerable stress testing before the policy was announced.
0: Cation's been with industry over these last weeks and months and, and how are you finding uh, the reception?
1: Uh, well, actually, the reception I think has been very good. I, we, obviously, we have um, a very much an open door policy to uh, all the uh, industry leaders in superannuation sector as well as broader financial services, and uh, and they have been consulted broadly and widely. They have come back and said, on the the vast majority of them have come back and said, how can we help? How can we help? And I think that's been really encouraging. Um, uh, so um, I know that there has been you know, pockets of concern out there, largely driven, I think, uh, in the media as opposed to the industry. Um, and uh, no, the industry has really stepped up to say, to you know, to, to you know, establish what it is they can do to help their members.
0: Minister, what else is on the table in regards to superannuation and in helping to stimulate the economy? Is the 9.5% at risk and likely to be frozen? Uh,
1: well, look, can I say that that not, is not on the agenda right now? Um, you know, this is a really big announcement to allow people to access their superannuation and early release to change the definition temporarily of what financial hardship means. Uh, is, um, is such an enormous policy, an enormous shift, there is nothing more on the table right now. We want to make sure that this uh, policy is delivered as smoothly as possible, and particularly on existing rails. And I think that's really important. Um, the, you know, one of the things that I probably should have mentioned is that one of the concerns of industry was around the administration of this policy. And that is something that the government has gone all out to make sure that the concerns were addressed. We've made sure that it's the ATO that does the bulk of the administrative work around this, that Austrack have come out and said that there should be, uh, you know, no um, concerns around, uh, you know, anti-money laundering or counterterrorism financing laws, that uh, information that comes from the ATO and is verified by the ATO should be enough Moreover, an individual that is applying for early release of superannuation doesn't actually have to speak to their fund at all if they don't want to. Um, they they're going to the ATO. The ATO will send the direction to the fund manager, to the superannuation manager, and that should sh- be enough which I think should be a great comfort to superannuation funds that have to manage their own staff, manage their call centres. Uh, you know, So I think that we've gone all out to make sure that the existing guardrails, rails, sorry, the existing communication rails um, and the existing administration rails are where this policy is being delivered.
0: Whilst I fully support the package, I also understand there's very many risks around this. You're working very fast, uh, as are your agencies. Uh, Tell me, uh, this may be outside your your brief. uh, You've been very good with us to say today that nothing is uh, off off the table to be discussed, as long as, under the Prime Minister's instructions, ministers talk within their portfolio. Uh, My question to you is, a number of funds have gone to the Reserve Bank last week asking for liquidity, uh, effectively to borrow money from the Reserve Bank so they're not selling equities uh, potentially at, the, at, this, at this point in the cycle and uh, uh, at the bottom of the market. Um, what do you say about that? Will there be support if funds actually do need liquidity and financial support to meet these measures?
1: Well, I read that this morning in The Guardian too, Colin, but that's not something that the funds have told me that they're doing. Uh, in fact, we understand that, um, that the vast majority of funds out there, certainly the ones that are speaking directly to us, are uh, in a very comfortable uh, and uh, appropriately liquid position to be able to meet uh, the requirements of the policy. Um, the government is not of a mind at the moment to contemplate um, any RBA support for um, the, to, to meet liquidity requirements. In fact, uh, you know, I think we, we worked out that the estimates are about 27 billion dollars will be potentially withdrawn from superannuation now you know even if if you assume that around a quarter of of funds are invested in um, in asx listed shares uh, and they have to sell those down i mean that equates to around seven billion dollars or so that's that's a day's turnover in the ASX. So we're not really concerned about the liquidity issues. The vast majority of funds out there have told us that they are more than capable of meeting these requirements. And on top of that, um, you know, uh, APRA has the tools now, uh, the, directives, the directions powers that it needs to be able to um, uh, assist those funds that may find those, particularly those perhaps those smaller funds that, um, that might find themselves um, a little bit more recalcitrant to do the right thing by their... ..to do the right thing by their members.
0: OK. We'll change, we'll change direction very soon on... Uh, but one more question on this topic, please, uh, Minister. Uh, I understand your estimates. However, if they were to blow out, if it was to be north of $50 billion, as some estimates from, uh, from uh, various consultants suggest, um, does that then leave you concerned?
1: Yeah, look, I actually don't think that that is a concern. I know that perhaps something that people were talking about on the weekend, that was before the wage subsidy was announced. I actually think that the wage subsidy, particularly for those people in industries like um hospitality or accommodation or tourism. Uh, you know that is going to support those people through this crisis without them having to access their superannuation. Indeed, I noticed a uh, an email yesterday from the barefoot investor from Scott Pape suggesting just that that um, you know making a decision to access superannuation is not something that you would do lightly, and uh, that it does have longer-term consequences for your retirement outcomes. I think that now that we have the wage subsidy, Many more people will feel far more comfortable with their, uh, uh, with how they're going to manage their life throughout this bridge process until we get to the other side. Moreover, they will more, far more of them will have a job at the other end, and I think that that's a great comfort.
0: At the at the AFR summit yesterday, uh, you made comments that uh, one of the uh, the new discovered. Uh, potential problems in this in the superannuation industry is cohorts and for the first time this has been exposed uh, you just make mention now that the hardest hit industries are travel, uh, tourism, uh, hospitality, uh, retail and uh, as we know there are some funds that are specifically uh, focusing on groups in those areas um, and you've also made you've, you also said yesterday that uh, you were not going to provide Uh, any leeway based on the pandemic related to member withdrawals in any of those affected funds. Can you articulate a little bit more around that, please? Uh, and, and, And in particular, what does that mean in terms of the design of superannuation and these cohorts?
1: Yeah. Well, look. You know, first of all, I think it's important to know that I actually am not naming any names of funds. I think the vast majority of funds out there, particularly the large ones, even some of those that have, um, you know, a, a sort of a reasonably homogenous um, membership base, have done very well throughout this process. They've made sure that they are very well prepared, that they've risk managed for these types of stresses. Um, although, what I did mention yesterday at the AFR summit was that this uh, event has actually highlighted a whole new risk that we hadn't actually really considered before. You know, we have looked at the demographics of um, fund membership in terms of things like age um, and, uh, you know, gender, but we really hadn't looked at it in terms of... um, uh, a, a craft group and of course you know whether it be this crisis or another one a particular craft group potentially is uh, is susceptible to things like um mass unemployment um an inability to have the inflows as well as a need for you know to call on the financial hardship um facilities uh and particularly you know in a bear market and you know it doesn't really matter whether it's the you know the candlestick maker, uh, you know, fund, or whether it's the, you know, the baker's fund, you know, there is always an opportunity for one particular industry or a number of industries to be affected by particular uh, issues in the economy. And I think that that's a systemic risk that we haven't really considered before because of the proud origins that we have in our superannuation system. But it's something that we will look at in the future.
0: So, Minister, <clears throat> final question on this issue. Are you saying to all of our audience today and to the industry that there'll be no more use of superannuation or interference within superannuation besides the early release 10 grand and 10 grand? There'll be no further amendments going forward.
1: Oh, Colin, I think in these uncertain times, to say never say never is, would be... A, a very foolish politician would say that. I mean, who would have thought three weeks ago that we would be here? But, uh, you know, that said, I want to assure everybody in your audience that the decisions that we're making, we're not making lightly. We're taking this very, very seriously. And we know whatever decisions we make, whether they be in supporting, uh, uh, you know, those on Social Security, whether it's it's the wage subsidies, whether it's early release of superannuation, all of these come with a trade-off. All of these have implications. And they are economy-wide. The most important thing now is that, Everybody in the economy uh, does their share, puts their shoulder to the wheel and takes on some of the responsibility and some of the burden. And that's the best way that we can build that bridge and get to the other side of this crisis.
0: In in some ways, this crisis has come at an unfortunate time for the industry because we have been talking for some time now about what is the purpose of super? Uh, Does this change what what the answer to that question is?
1: that, you know, extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. I mean, the important thing is to understand that we will get to the other side. And, you know, there is uh, life after coronavirus for all industries, including Superannuation, you know. I've often said, having worked in the industry before, I am genuinely proud of the sector that I've worked in. I'm proud of its operations. I'm proud of it. I'm I'm, I'm proud of its opportunities. And I'm really proud of its origins too. But this is an opportunity to reimagine um, a situation, you know, to reimagine an industry that has been plagued for many years with complacency and inertia, just purely by its compulsory nature. And uh, and I think that now. what What we will see one of the bright sides of all of this of course is that there will be a whole new level of engagement in superannuation from members that we've never seen before that's really important that's one of the great hurdles we've been trying to overcome in this industry so um you know with crises comes opportunity and uh, and i think that's one for for this industry
0: so, Parliament will be recalled most likely next week to pass last night's announced massive package of around $130 billion. Uh, you'll be going back to Canberra uh, for just the day, I imagine, and then you'll be in complete lockdown, like most of us around the... like all of us around the country. Um, what does this mean, given that you won't be re-sitting until August? What does this mean for the many measures that currently haven't made it through the Senate that uh, this industry uh, will be impacted by?
1: well I'm so glad that you asked that Colin because I think it gives me a chance to say something which I should have said from the outset which is one of the things that I have been most impressed with throughout this process is the level of bipartisanship that has come from it I really thank you know the opposition have Really stepped up. They've been very consultative, very communicative. You know, I speak to my uh, Labour counterpart on a regular basis. Uh, the crossbench too have been very communicative, and uh, and we are really are all pitching in here. It is all shoulders to the wheel. Um, you know there are some other issues that are on the agenda. I don't. I want to make sure that throughout this process we're not using uh, the crisis for political opportunism, and I think that that is a sign of good faith. Uh, so yes, there is more to be done. Yes, Parliament isn't going to resume uh, until the time is appropriate, but that doesn't mean that that things don't get done. Things will certainly get
0: done. Let's be a little bit more specific. Uh, the financial planners that are listening to us to, to you today, uh, post Royal Commission, uh, have been already struggling in repivoting their businesses, dealing with an avalanche of regulatory reforms. Uh, Fazia just being one of those new education standards uh, and of course uh, they are now dealing with clients who are dealing with dislocated markets and a, and a virus that is put the fear of the God into everybody um, which one of those which of those reforms or uh, changes that are impacting financial planners are you willing to potentially kick down the road to provide a little bit more breathing space to the financial planning community to survive this next six 12 and 18 months?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know that we have already announced and indeed it's already gone through the House of Representatives, an extension to the FSEA uh, educational timelines. Um, That was announced last year. Uh, and it, it has bipartisan support, which is terrific. It's just a matter of legislating it. I think that it is something that can be relied upon, though, which is, very, uh, which is really important. And I want to assure everybody out there that's watching that that still remains the case. Um, uh, I think that one of the other things too that has been really interesting that's come out of this is that uh, there is a genuine opportunity for advisors right now to demonstrate their worth. You know, there is a lot of very nervous people out there. There's a lot of people that are unadvised that are switching to cash. Uh, and perhaps that isn't the right decision for them. We will be exploring ways to ensure that advisors can speak to their clients to, you know, calm the farm as much as they possibly can without um, being concerned about, you know, breaching their regulatory requirements. Um, I think that ASIC and the Money Smart website is a good place to go, but ASIC too are going to be... um, Uh, communicating directly with financial advisors to let them understand that this is an extraordinary time where we feel that uh, the value of advice is really, really important. ASIC will be taking a very facilitative approach. Uh, I think we've we've already said that to the um, Code of Conduct for financial advisors. They've made that clear, as have AFCA. Uh, but this is this goes beyond that. You know, we want to make sure that as many people get as much affordable, quality financial advice as they possibly can to just to give them peace of mind and comfort at this really um, you know, quite frightening times.
0: We've got a few minutes left, uh, Minister, um, and the, the, the next guest uh, on this program will be today Jeff Lloyd. Jeff Lloyd is the CEO of MLC as well as being the Chair of the Financial Services Council. And we'll be talking um, initially around what's impacting him in his life and how he's managing a workforce of 4,000 people uh, and, uh, and his own family situations. I just want to make this a little bit personal for a moment. Um, What are your ideas of how we all survive this? I mean, you look like you're in incredibly great shape. I can't imagine what your diary is like and how busy you are. Uh, I also know you've, you've, you've got your own family issues, of course, as we all do, and you lost your dad last week. So you've had a tragedy in the last week in your family. How are you managing? How do you think we should all cope with this emotionally the next weeks and sadly probably many months?
1: dad was very special to me he was my my hero and he was my greatest fan. and he'd had a long illness and it wasn't an unexpected passing but it was sad nonetheless and of course the saddest part was for a, you know a great, great man like him is that um we couldn't have a funeral know, yeah? we had uh, and it wasn't even a 10-person funeral it was eight person because uh the 10-person rule includes two funeral attendants so really it was only my mother and my sister and I and our and and uh, and my children and my sister's children, it's very sad. For you know, it didn't really reflect the life of somebody that was um, a larger-than-life character. So we will celebrate his life at another time. Um, you know, I'm at home with my three children, and uh, well, actually, that's not true. One of them is at university, living in college. I'm not entirely sure how on earth they're managing uh, to. Um, Self-isolation and social distancing at universities, Um, but but they are putting in a really good effort. Uh, My kids, I think, have seen everything that is on Netflix and then some. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to them going back to school. I'm hoping that the schools open on time. There's a lot of card games. There's a lot of board games. um, And uh, but of course, there's also a lot of work going on in the background. Yes, I think that. You know, everybody out there is making do, and there's been some really innovative solutions to um, uh, to you know to the way that families are coping. So I tip my hat to all of them. Can I say that uh, you know one of the interesting things I think that this. Um, crisis has brought upon us is uh, communications between people seems to be, you know, at all hours now. Can I just put it out there that one of the CEOs of superannuation funds, and my door is always open to the CEOs of superannuation funds, happened to call me this morning at about 6.30, and, uh, you know, (laughs) bless and love them, but as a very busy professional with three children Um, I'd really rather enjoy my showers to be uninterrupted. So while I love talking to the CEOs of Superfunds, maybe not 6.30 in the morning.
0: Wow, 6.30 a.m. I mean, just for the benefit of the members, can we know who that was? They're working hard. They're working hard.
1: Can I say that all the CEOs and all the chairs are very consultative and I appreciate speaking to them at most times of the day just
0: not 6.30. OK, we're going to go to uh, some questions from our audience in a moment, if that's OK. Um, they have been screened, so hopefully nothing is too crazy here. Uh, just before we do, what is your message, Jane, to uh, the senior leadership of our industry? Uh, you have just made a comment then, don't call you at 6.30am when you're in the shower. I think that's, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, but uh, what else are you asking for? Do, are we seeing enough leadership right now that's courageous and brave? Are we seeing enough guidance that is providing both the, the public with with accurate information and comfort, but being realistic that we are in a global emergency?
1: Yeah, look, I've actually been extraordinarily impressed with the way that the industry leaders have stepped up to the plate in this crisis, as well as our government leaders as well. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily spruik my friends, but I do think that in particular, you know, the Prime Minister, Josh Frydenberg, Greg Hunt, have all done an exceptional job throughout this process. Can I say, first of all, thank you very much. Can I say also, please do keep the lines of communication open while 6.30 is probably too early, 7am is just fine. And, um, and I'm very impressed that every everybody has put shoulders to the wheel it makes it much easier for those of us in government if people come to us with solutions rather than problems uh, because we are dealing with you know a 100 problems new problems that perhaps no one had ever considered every day Uh, so thank you very much to those of you that have really participated in this process it um, I think it's been the making of many
0: OK, Jane, I'm going to roll into some questions here, and uh, I, uh, you, we'll go real fast. Let's do some TED Talks sort of pace. Uh, Michael Block has asked, will taxes rise to fund this package?
1: Oh, well, I don't think we could possibly go there yet. Um, you know, I think that we are very lucky that, uh, the, you know, we were in such solid financial position before this began. You know, we were just landing that helicopter on the, on the 20 cent piece, uh, so it's. I think the fiscal discipline that this government has shown is why we can respond so expansively to the problem at hand.
0: It is fair though that the uh, we look back now at the Rudd government uh, and, and and its measures to uh, also stave off a recession in hindsight uh, was also a good thing, right?
1: Well, every government decision about uh, you know rescue pass- packages has a trade-off. The most important thing, I think, that we have said is that uh, any policy that we've announced is targeted, it's scalable. Um, and it's using existing mechanisms, so it's being delivered as efficiently as possible, as cheaply as possible, and as quickly as possible. Uh, measures are also temporary. We want to make sure that we're not baking in spending uh, that you know, goes on for, for you know, years and years to come. Uh, everything is being done about, around this crisis and this crisis only.
0: I understand that. And once again, I am a supporter of the packages, and it's absolutely necessary, it seems. Uh, however, I do, I do remember uh, Treasurer Joe Hockey saying only a few elections ago that a much smaller amount of deficit was a budget emergency. Uh, and here we are. Um, but let's move on. So next question is uh, by Nicola Rubenstein. Many are talking about a depression or even a Great Depression on the other side of this. Can you make some comments, please?
1: Well, I think that one of the things that um, is uh, an indicator or a, or a precursor to a depression or a recession is confidence. I think that the response that the government has taken has actually improved confidence. And if we have to do is look at, uh, you know, the ASX rallied yesterday on the, on the back of, of, um, of the announcements that the government has made, I think that you know there is a collective responsibility that comes in this industry too to um, you know to to talk up the good things that are going on rather than being doomsayers because there is light at the end of the tunnel and we want to make sure that the economy comes out on the other side even stronger than before.
0: OK, we've got literally hundreds of, uh, hundreds of questions coming in here, so let me race through some of these in the remaining 11 minutes. Thanks for your questions, uh, all of uh, our audience. Thank you for your participation. Paul Murphy is asking, does the current crisis affect the government timetable for post-retirement reforms, retirement covenant and sippers, by example?
1: yes i I think we can safely say that it has there are some things that we've just simply had to reprioritise. that said they're not off the table we haven't forgotten about them we will be addressing them once the uh you know the um, urgent issues of the crisis have passed us um you know our retirement system is fundamentally important we still have the retirement income review to report uh there is so much more to come there is so much more to do uh, it's, it's just, you know,
0: temporarily been um, deprioritised in light of the crisis. Michael Homer, how was it proposed that we make financial advice more affordable?
1: Yes, uh, I think that um, you know that's something that the government has been putting its head around for at some time. Um, You know, the financial advice industry is one that has been in a state of flux for some period of time. We have heard that there is an urgent need to make those reforms. We are currently working with ASIC in real time right now to do exactly that and there will be more to come.
0: Okay, we've got to play this like a game show now and we're going to roll through 20 questions, okay, in about uh, four minutes. So, Tim Lindsay, financial advisors have been absolutely battered by changing legislation and other issues. Can we please have a hold on changes for 12 months?
1: No. i'm afraid look i'd love to be able to answer every question yes or no like that colin it's simply not going to work that way though um i think that something like that deserves a broader answer sure can i just say tim that we understand yes this is an industry that has had um, a bit of a rough time lately we will be working with you and it is something that is very much on my radar
0: We've, we've kind of covered this a little bit this morning already, Jane, but again, there are many questions circulating on, on a similar topic, so let's clear it up a little bit more. Michael Swinberg is asking, why is super seen as a go-to bailout in a crisis, therefore right. destroying, destroying its long-term viability as an age pension replacement, etc.?
1: And Michael Swinsberg, I think, was one of the people that recruited me to one of my first jobs in the financial services industry. <laughs> super, super is not immune. No part of the economy is immune from the changes that we are implementing now. This is a crisis that has been... Un- that is, uh, you know, the, ..the size of which is, uh, has, um, is unprecedented. I know that's a massively overused term, but it is. And there is no part of the economy that is immune, and that includes superannuation.
0: Margaret Sansom, for a number of people drawing down on super, this will result in a balance that results in a loss of insurance. Can we talk about not only that question, perhaps, but other implications to insurance, which are right now are at crisis point also?
1: Yes. So, uh, well, first of all, I think that uh, what Margaret is talking about is the, the, the putting members' interests first legislation, which comes in to, tomorrow. The 1st of April is the day that that kicks in. There should be no threat to uh, insurance within superannuation from the early release of super announcements. Uh, if you had uh, more than six thousand dollars or you're over 25 on the first of uh, November last year, then your super, then your insurance and superannuation remains. So I think that that is a little bit of scaremongering. I, I did actually correct Michelle O'Neill from the ACTU, who said that on the 7:30 report. Um, I, re- I corrected her publicly but um,
0: obviously the message hasn't quite got through yet. Okay so uh, I think there's um, we're going to bring this to a close in just a few minutes. Uh, Are the industry associations doing what you'd like to see from them? Are they actually representing their groups? Would you like to see less of them knocking on your door? How do we make uh, representation lobbying and policy making more efficient for you?
1: I think i already answered that one, Colin. No, the industry associations are so important, and I really appreciate them and the way that they have engaged with me and with the Treasurer and and with both of our teams throughout this this crisis. They have been terrific. Uh, They have come to us with solutions, not problems, and that is where they are adding their most value. So I think that they've been terrific. Thank you very much to all of them.
0: Okay, excellent. So on best estimates, obviously, the other side of this crisis, the whole world is going to look quite different. And there's probably many silver linings. Uh, We're already seeing uh, improvements in the environment. Uh, You know, there's some great stories in the last week that uh, for the first time you can see fish and dolphins in the canals of Venice because they're clean. Uh, Apparently, Wuhan province lost three and a half thousand people uh, from from, from, um, the virus. But during the industry shutdown, 55,000 more people in China didn't die of pollution. Are you imagining a world that's really quite unimaginable right now in a few years from now?
1: Uh, To tell you the truth, Colin, I am buried up to my eyeballs in paper. I haven't actually managed to put my head above the parapet to see the dolphins or the sunshine or any of those things just yet. Um, but you are absolutely right, we are going to find ourselves at the end of this crisis in a in, in a new world, um, you know, but it will, um, you know, the economy will continue, the economy will improve, businesses will uh, rebound, uh, people will find themselves employed again, perhaps in a different job, but employed nonetheless. Uh, I think that there is always room for optimism, even in these darkest times. And what I want to make sure is that the people that are watching today know that their government is working really hard to make sure that we not only maintain uh, the best chance of looking after their lives, but their livelihoods as well, so that when we reach the other side, uh, life can not just continue uh, from where it was before, but be better than it was before.
0: Thank you, and that's very clear, and it's very clear in the way you carry yourself, Minister, that you, not only yourself, uh, but also your your senior Cabinet colleagues are performing at uh, at an uber-high level right now, and I think regardless of where you are in politics, I think there's a lot of respect in the community uh, that the government is acting quickly, swiftly, and incredibly diligently. Uh, I can't imagine, as I said at the outset of this conversation, how much hard work it is right now and how much mental and emotional stamina, let, let alone physical rest and sleep, uh, that, that one must, uh, one must need to, to get through all of this. We're going to wrap this up in a moment. Uh, I think you've made uh, some good comments about the markets uh, indirectly, but uh, let's just... Uh, I have a real worry that, uh, again, we have mum and dad investors freaking out, selling down, moving to cash in their super funds or having their advisors switch them to cash or withdrawing their funds or whatever, as they always do at the bottom or near the bottom of equity markets. How do we how do we have messaging perhaps even from government that that's just not a good idea?
1: Yeah, I look, I think it's really important. We all have a collective responsibility to do what we can to to to, to keep calm in in the crisis and and to and to um, express that message to our clients, to our friends, to our families who may be panicking because there is so much that is unknown. Uh, but, you know, that's why this industry is just so important and we have a real role to play. And part of that, of course, Colin, allow me to indulge me for a moment, is just is you know thanks to organisations like yours, um, you know, the, the, maintaining these communications at, uh, at these sorts of times is really, really important. So can I say thank you very much to Conexus and for all that you're doing to make sure that we have, you know, open lines of communications between government and industry.
0: Well, thank you, and and, uh, I've got to say that uh, your package last night might very much help us keep alive. Every business is obviously struggling right now, uh, and we at Connexus Financial have been working now for weeks to uh, to pivot a live conference business of 20 conferences a year into digital delivery, uh, this being one of the first, and there will hopefully be many more. Uh, But certainly our publications, Professional Planner and Investment Magazine are playing an increasingly important role, hopefully, at calming people, educating people, having a place for opinion and analysis and discussion. Uh, but your office is, uh, and yourself personally, uh, very available to us, and I really respect that and appreciate that. On behalf of uh, the 500 or so people out there today that are listening uh, and Connexus Financial, Minister Hume, please take care, stay well, and thanks for your generosity of both your time and your information today. All the best.
1: Thanks very much, Colin.